Hey, I'm Dr. Ariana Demers. I'm an orthopedic sports medicine surgeon, and I have successfully integrated orthobiologics into my busy practice so that I can provide a continuum of care and treat patients who are in the gap. The gap is this gray area in orthopedics where standard conservative treatments have not been effective, but surgery may not be warranted. And we usually tell our patients, come back when it's worse. What? These are your patients coming to you for help. Orthobiologics is that solution that can fill the gap and help you treat your patients who are in your office looking to you for help. Orthobiologics can also be an excellent treatment for frustrating problems without good surgical outcomes. This podcast will help you create the orthobiologics business that will make you love your job again. We will focus on the value of orthobiologics, patient selection, how to talk to your patients about money, office setup, and other logistics. If this is something you've always wanted but don't know where to start, join me in the business of Orthobiologics podcast. All right. How's your clinic going? How are things? Um, so good. So today, raise the price. Nothing. No. No. Not, not even like a blink. That, right? Not even like a blink. No one even cared. Like, oh. So I went from 1950 to 2750 for PRP, single injection. Yes. Response was like, oh, okay. Like, can we do that today? And then you kick yourself and you're like, oh my God, I've been throwing money away. Crap. I've been leaving money on the table. It's just been sitting there waiting for me to ask. You kind of have to, you have to go through this though. I I feel like. I know. I know. I told you I've, I've been raising my prices for an entire year. Like looking back, like I, do you honestly think you could have gone like, well, I used to charge 900 bucks. Now I'm going to go 3,500. Like you yourself mentally. Like I don't, I I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. No, because you have to get that experience where it actually happens and it's working and you're like, oh, nothing happened. And then you raise it a little bit more and you're like, huh, not one thing happened. Okay, let's do this. Right. You yeah. have to have those successes to yeah. then just like Atiba was talking about when you were talking about staffing. Right. So you coach up to the highest and then that's the baseline. And then you coach up mm. to the next level and then yeah. you just raise the baseline and you're, you're raising like, the bar. OK, because you it, in your mind, it wasn't even possible that you could charge twenty seven hundred. Right. I think also thinking about it, like adding some of those other little things to the offering where it's, you're not totally chunking out that new amount that would be your profit, but making it like, okay, I'm actually, I'm providing more stuff. Like, I don't know, for me, that just feels a little better. Yeah. Cause you feel like you're providing value, right? Yeah. yeah. And also adding to things that are going to help it feel better. So totally. whatever it is you're talking about. Totally. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. It's a cycle, but it's a psychological problem. And the patient didn't blink. And I think honestly, you know, it's it's so hard for our us to wrap our minds around that people want the thing that is more expensive because it's better, right? They well, they want you to guide them to what's going to help them get better. They don't. They're they're really not considering that. That's not the thing holding them back. What holds them back is if you can't really help them understand why it's good, why it's going to help, or that there's evidence showing that that's, that's what's actually going to lead to. Right. Um, I, I think that's what they just want to hear. Like, why do you think it's, 
good enough for me to do that. And if, if you understand it, can explain it. And now, and now enough times of like, I'm seeing these patients back. They're happy. Nobody is unhappy that they did it. And you can explain that without, you know, just saying it that way, but you know, being able to say like what they're going to get out of it. I think that's the thing. If you can help them understand the value, then, then they're fine with it. If you're like, uh, it's pretty good. Give me three grand. They're like, uh, I don't think so. No, but if you truly believe that this is the best way for them to solve their problem, to get the solution that they're looking for, and you can even say it that way. Like, and and I think thinking about it, I I forget who I was talking to, but it's like, if it was free, if there was, if money was no issue, like you were choosing A, B, or C, and it was all free, what was the best thing that you would suggest? With hundred percent certainty, you would choose this. You would do, you would use biologics as part of your game plan, Absolutely. whether it was with or without surgery, mm-hmm. you would yeah. include that. And I've, I mean, I've been saying that to people for years that my term was like, if it was all five bucks. Right. Right. You know, absolutely. If it all costs the same and it was all $5 and we could, you know, that was not an issue or I use it like if you were my family, I would recommend this. Yeah. I think it's the best or, you know, it was like, my shoulder. Yeah. You can use any of those, those, because it's true, right? You have to, in order to fully sound and, and for them to hear the authenticity of what you're saying that you truly 100% believe it and you have to believe it, use those phrases that are actually true. Right. Yeah. So good job. That's amazing. Anything, any other wins in your clinic? Well, we had, like I said, we had, we had three or four. We did four today. Nice. And then, and scheduled like three more. Very and then, nice. And then there are like a couple more that are having to have surgery, but that will do it with surgery. Nice. Nice. So how's your staffing situation going? I may have, so I have to get a, um, a certified x-ray tech cause we're getting a fixed x-ray unit. Okay. Installed. Okay. I've been getting by with like a portable. And I think I've identified a good person, but I'm going to kind of vet it out. Yeah. And then what is she going to be tra- cross-trained in? Well, that's the thing. So it's actually a he. Oh, what, what's uh, he going to be cross-trained in? He's got, he's got a cool background. He's an athletic trainer. And then he went to x-ray school. Perfect. Um, but I got to think about, I, I think he's the kind of guy that can be, take the lead on some of this stuff and be kind of a, like in charge of orthobiologics and some like outreach stuff. Yeah. So I gotta, I don't know. I gotta think about how I'm, how I'm going to do it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I think one of the things that we really, as physicians don't get too far away from it yet. Right. Don't abdicate your expertise quite yet. Oh, sure. Yeah. Cause we're really good at like, Oh, you got this. Okay. (laughs) I gotta go do something else. But no, I'm not ready to turn over the keys, but I I hear what you're saying. You know, uh, yeah. So that's awesome. You know, in California is the only state where they don't recognize um, ATC licensure. So Mm. we don't have them and we can't use them in their licensed manner. It's the thing, right? So ATCs in every other state in the nation uh, is an amazing resource of musculoskeletal Mm. education and what a lot of people use them for are like the shockwave applications. So that was another thing, either that or laser. Yeah. If I had to choose and I had a person, I would choose shockwave because I think it makes people better faster. Like you're going to get more, um, 
more instantaneous results. Like I don't have the person. So I do laser and it takes like 12 sessions. Right. And people get annoyed and they're like, it's not working yet. And instead, like you can get shockwave and sometimes even one treatment can give you some relief. And like, oh, so you don't have that in your office. I do not have shockwave. I chose. Does anybody, anybody else here using that already? Yeah. Do you have any strong feelings about a brand or a device or, I mean, you don't have to, we can, you can send it to me or we can talk about it another time, but. It's the, I'll, I'll look it up. Let me. The one from that Plymouth medical carries or. It's, it's oh, a, does Plymouth have one? Yeah, they do. I, mean, I can talk to Joanne. She's been very solid. So, I mean, you have to. Yeah, she's got great it. recommendations. And so I think the radial is something that you don't have to run. Um, the focus, I think something is, is physician directed. So mm. just be sure that you can make money when you're not there. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I would start with one to make sure that you can construct it appropriately and you can identify those patients. And it's Mm. great with or without PRP. You can add it in your package and bump up your price. I know Petropoly uses Shockwave like it's going out of business. And laser. Yeah. I think he uses Shockwave. I'm nearly 100%. But for me, people live so far from me that they don't want to come back. Uh, It's They can't just like swing in. So that's yeah, yeah. To, so you, you want to make sure that it's um, effective enough in a smaller number of applications. But then also, I think um, there is benefit in having them come back and come back and come back because then you're like building this relationship and they like yeah. know the staff and then it's like, you know, cheers, like, hey, hey, everybody. yeah, totally. Um, and then they know, like, and trust and they're like, oh, that's my place. That's where I get better. Um, you know, so there is benefit, but I think Shaco, if, if, if I had a person that I could reliably like have and know that they were going to be able to do it, I'd choose Shockwave. I think it's probably effective sooner. Ariana, excuse me. Where, where, uh, do you implement that with your PRP protocol wise? When do you, do you do it before? Do you do it after? Do you do it both? Shockwave or laser? Shockwave, shockwave. I don't have, I don't have shockwave. I, w- I want shockwave, but I don't have a person to run it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I chose laser cause it's the MLS laser and you can just set it and forget it. And you don't need any expertise. If you, as long as you have a body in the office to turn it on and put the person under the laser, then I have laser and I can treat people. Um, and they have really good, nice results, but I would say shockwave probably gives you faster results. Oh yeah. So number one, which laser am I using? It's the MLS, uh, M6. Uh, you M6. can, if yeah. you're an orthopedic surgeon, you cannot have an MLS. I know. Just FYI. But somebody else who you might work with might have one. But then Shockwave, yeah, I can't remember the the brand. Though the Storts, yeah, S-T-O-R-T-Z. Oh, Storts. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, is that, um, who had that? What's his face in Arizona have that? Maybe Osh does have laser. I mean, I mean, uh, Shockwave. I think he does. Yeah. But yeah, then what you do is the the protocol is some people will use it before, but it's usually used after, after the platelet-rich plasma injection. But you Same day it, for the first one? Um, is that too much stuff? I think, you know, I, I would be speaking out of turn because I don't have it. We'll, we'll talk about that. You do laser the same day? I do. I start my first laser that day. 
And then I have them come back because it's cumulative. And so I want them to get like a good six to seven in, in the first two weeks, they get 12. So if if they can come every day for the first two weeks, it's going to be better from a pain control standpoint. So pain, swelling, inflammation without taking anti-inflammatories, right? Uh, So I think um, I also use it in my surgical uh, because it it really accelerates wound healing, Mm. uh, which is lovely. So like Um, post-op day one or? Yeah. So if they can come in at least three days, but if you can do it daily, the research shows that if you do it daily, that it will for like two to three weeks, it will accelerate the wound healing by it doubles it. It's pretty impressive. So I think that's something to consider as well. Like if you're still doing post, you know, operative, or even if you have like somebody that's renting space or you're renting space near them, you could be like, Hey, by the way, you should bring all your (laughs) post-operative patients. I'm happy to like, did you know that this is a service that we offer? Um, And then just ramp that up. I mean, there's, it's not a, there's no, so Dr. Sigmund, uh, Scott Sigmund is ortho laser founder. There's a reason that he has a billion franchises. Now, do I think the franchise is viable for everybody? No, I looked into it um, and it, it was not a, a viable option for me. Yeah, uh, You have to have a pretty big. So if you have like a five person orthopedic group, it makes sense to have a franchise, run it through and have it working five days a week for you. But I will say I, I paid mine off in a year. Yeah. So now we're free and clear and we're like 50. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's similar to uh shockwave. If you're in a building in the same space as pain management is, uh, is MLS going to sell to, uh, the pain management doc? I'm sure if they're like, Oh, I see there's an orthopedic surgeon's sign on the door. Like what's up with that? Oh, um, Oh, well, so it's not, yeah, yeah. I think it's totally fine. Like Mm. totally fine. And you'll, you'll have to see, I got a referral from John Canab. And I got in contact and it was, it worked pretty great. Yeah. It's cutting edge laser. <laughs> yeah. Cutting edge laser. So Mark is meeting with them this week and he's going to talk to me after right. he meets with them. He doesn't know what they want to meet with them about, but he's kicking around. He doesn't know if he needs three. He was like, he might just sell me his great third one. Great. He might, he might be too busy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's working for me. Um, it doesn't require an extra person. It's a pretty small footprint, like a two by three footprint. Yeah. Yeah. That's not too bad. Um, and it's, I think it's, it's a value add for sure. All right. So tell us about IOF and the latest on PRP because we need to to learn that. Yeah. 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 Um, so a couple of things. So the basic science, um, was very interesting. I think that when Peter Everts talked, it was, it was, I think a really nice talk. And I think what I got out of it is that there is going to be a trend coming to be very clear on, um, what, your concoction is not only platelet number, but platelet dose, as well as lymphocyte, monocyte, and granulocyte. So I think there's going to be a run on cell counters. <laughs> if you if you came away with anything from the meeting, I think it is probably not good enough to not know what you're injecting at this point. Did, would you guys agree? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty clear. It was like, well, I think probably everybody just needs to know. 
I think if you're going to be, if you got skin in the game and you're doing this at a high level, I, I think you probably just have to know and calculate and be able to say, this is my dose and this is how I know. And I think we're as we collect data, we're going to find these more nuanced findings and we'll be able to pull those out. What happens when your platelet count, what happens when you have a, a low lymphocyte or a high lymphocyte or a monocyte, you know, where are we on this? Uh, mm-hmm. Because that's kind of what he was alluding to. And then the really fascinating thing that I, I didn't even think about, but man, it's it's something else, is that that interplay between the uh, immune system and how your immune system is affecting your treatments and those lymphocytes uh, and those monocytes are affecting our treatments. And so do we have to be quite a bit more nuanced and should we be, um, you know, treating stress before we treat uh, a knee, Uh, you know, all these things, I was like, oh my gosh. So hold the phone. We're going to be whole physicians now. (laughs) This is strange, but I think it does play into this theme in Mavericks where we are kind of pushing those boundaries a little bit and we're addressing nutrition and we're addressing stress and we're addressing a more holistic approach to the patient because it gets better outcomes. When you have a whole person approach, you get better outcomes. And so that was clear in this discussion as well. You think that's pointing to a better understanding of who, who responds and who doesn't and why? Because we definitely, you've had this, I'm sure all of you guys have had this, like some patients are just responders and like get better every time you treat them, no matter what the injury and some people struggle and trying to understand that. How do we predict or prep the host prior, right? Great question, because that was lecture number two with Jason Dragu. Um, and he was talking about the machine learning, and they have these huge databases that were amassing samples, not only to look at now, but with uh, assays and uh, the all of the small molecules, but then machine learning. And then we can go back when we know more and go, okay, what did that have in it? And then extrapolate out. And IL-17 was something that really continued to come up as um, a a marker of people who respond. So Mm. I think, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And then the next one was the PPP uh, for muscle injury. And that PRP did show that there was more fibrosis in muscle rather than uh, the PPP, which uh, caused uh, Im- improvement in healing. So that was, yeah, so that's great. Uh, There's also some discussion about low versus high volume PPP for hamstring strains. Um, and there's some, maybe some indication that low volume is better. That is not a soft problem. I think everyone was pretty clear that there's some interesting findings and the juries are still out but there are some arrows um, and maybe some trends to follow. Um, But this is definitely not a solved problem. But I would say this is the first time where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is getting really nuanced. And I do think that we are on the track. This is actually coming. Has it, did anyone else um, gather, you know, some like, holy cow, mind-blowing pearls? Nothing. 
And is, I thought the the M fat with the rotator cuff, the full thickness rotator cuff. I was right. like, that's pretty, that's pretty badass. Like, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was sick. So yeah, so in my talk, um, I presented some data and some case reports and some case uh, some case studies uh, with MFAT for partial and full thickness rotator cuff tear that was predictably decreased pain, increased function out to two years. And there is a case study of MFAT causing healing of a full thickness non-retracted tear at the 10 month month MRI. John Farrell published that and you can look at that, um, uh, just search it. So, uh, look at MFAT for uh, rotator cuff tear, John Farrell, F-E-R-R-E-L-L. Um, he's in our group. And it's shocking. It's like, no way. I would say what is an outlier, except for the fact that the 2K series that I looked at had between 10 and 30% of patients who responded had full thickness tears. So I, I is don't- Is that meeting available on demand? I am going to recommend that it be available on demand to members. We have not done that, um, but that is at our board meeting. That was um, the recommendation. So we'll have to see if that'll be on demand or not. I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not president anymore. I can't just kidding. Uh I can make some changes. (laughs) I can make some recommendations, Um, but it was so good. Uh, I think it's, it's a way to capture some more people, you know, that can't attend or whatever. Of course. Yeah. If you're like in Rowtown or some weird thing. Ugh, so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think um but moving to the knee, I think the things that were really interesting were um meniscus tears, treating meniscus tears with both uh PRP, which was effective and efficient, as well as MFAT for meniscus tear. And it was pretty it was pretty impressive, um to to say the least. Like can is there a you know stratification of what types of tears and yeah so these are all degenerative are you injecting directly into the meniscus yeah for both of those so like for example you're placing your probe on the joint line you're seeing the kind of triangular shape of the meniscus and you're is is that going to be short axis then it's going to be out of plane it's going to be an out of plane technique use your center line and then drop straight down. You'll see that bright white dot, and then you'll see yeah. your inject date. Mm-hmm. And you're, uh, and, but are you following that around to the posterior horn? Because you know most of our tears are posterior horn. Well, it depends. So I get an MRI, right? So you know where your tear is and you can identify it. And then just to be clear, like, so the PRP from um, Elizabeth Akan, this was a degenerative tear um, and she was doing mostly peri, uh, like perimeniscal. So meniscal capsular junction. Absolutely. Okay. um, Because if you drop all the way into the tear, it kind of slides into the joint, like the ejectate. But she thought, and I talked to her afterwards, that it was actually, um, she was using it a lot in the perimeniscal, like a perimeniscal cyst. So drain it and then put PRP in and it seems to seal the two leaflets together. So they're not Mm. having so much shear Mm. and allowing the fluid to to leak out. Um, And then Stephen Myers used MPAR for symptomatic meniscus tears without arthritis. So there was no arthritis. There was just these symptomatic tears. They were they were horizontally like you know these degenerative tears um, that did not need require uh, require stitching, and then MFAP. So I think 
that those for me treating meniscus tears and I did a, a webinar on meniscus and you know I've been treating intrameniscal injections for PRP BMC adipose and I'm like gosh you know it makes sense but then I pulled all the literature and I was like oh no 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 this is real this does make sense so when you treat um P- with PRP even you drop the meniscal grade by at least one if not more than one when you treat uh, intrameniscal. So I'm going to highly recommend, I think that's the other thing that kind of was a recurring theme was treat that functional unit. So don't just treat interarticulars, you treat, you know, the whole functional unit, the ligaments, the tendons, the fascia, intraarticular. um, And, you know, there was a lot of discussion about interosseous. I don't know that we're there yet, but we're getting there. I mean, if you go like Jack Farr and Vang's Nest paper is like eight years old now where they did a partial meniscectomy and injected BMAC and and grew back some of the meniscus. I, I don't. Yeah, I know. And they were like flogged, uh, you know, like that doesn't happen. But um, I don't know, dude. Right? Like, I think we're 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 getting closer We're there. There's some like glimmer of hope, like, oh, my gosh, there may be. There may be what we're doing is actually not only changing the natural history of disease, but may also be delaying or even reversing. So, uh, of course, the jury is still out. And, of course, we can't use cultured cells here in the United States, but there's a lot of discussion about cultured cells as well. Mm-hmm. And, and we had the speaker last year for IOF showed regeneration and healing with uh, cultured cells for Achilles, full thickness. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. What else there was, oh, who, uh, the optimizing the vitality of the patients and providers from Alan Mishra. Did everyone like that talk about, uh, vitality? Yeah. Yeah. Diane, what was favorite, what was your favorite takeaway from the vitality talk? You know, it's what we do all the time. We spend so much, we give so much. And then we, you know, we are right at the bottom, you know, the family and, you know, take care of the patients and take care of the business. And then here we are, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this discussion or seen the, the graphic. It's always so powerful to me. So you have to classify your life into rocks right? So big rocks, medium rocks, and small rocks or sand. So the big rocks are like family, health, uh, you know, your relationships. Uh, Medium rocks are like, you know, uh, the job, the putting money in the bank, getting food on the table, um, you know, feeding your dog, (laughs) going for the run, whatever. And then the little rock, the sand is everything else. So if you put everything else, the little sand in first, And then you put the little rocks in, there's no room for the big rocks, Mm. right? It doesn't work. It's it's too full. If you put the big rocks in first, then you put the medium rocks in, and then you put the sand in, it all fits. Mm. But it's all about prioritizing those really big rocks and letting everything else filter in. And I think that's what happens all the time. You're like, you do the little crap because it seems easy, right? You're like, oh, I'm just going to finish up my emails. Oh, I'm just going to, you know, go like take, put, let the dog out. Oh, I'm just going to clean the house or, but those are the little things. It's the big things are the things that really matter. 
and and are going to be there whether you have a job or not, whether you have you know whether you have the right clothes or the right car. Um, so prioritizing those big rocks allows everything else to fit in between. So I, I, that's yeah, right? Yeah, I, that well, I, it's easy to hang, like hang on to in your mind. You're like, oh, this is the sand. Hmm. I, I can't spend my time on the sand. You got like if you're at the beach. That's okay, but you know, <laughs> that's a big yeah, rock. Yeah. Beaches are big rocks. Beaches are for me. Skiing is a big mm. rock. You know, I think the other really cool thing that he did was the million second challenge. Mm. So a million oh. seconds is about twelve days, and so he asked, and he sent out these little cards, and it said, "What are you going to get done in the next million seconds?" Three things. And when you look back in 12 days or 1 million seconds, you have said, I did this and I did this and I did this. It's done. It's already done. So I would urge you to like put that in your calendar, maybe like every month or so, just kind of say in the next million seconds, what am I going to achieve? Not what do I want to, but what is actually going to be done? Did anyone have one that they were like, oh, that's good. I like that. Did you guys do that that um, challenge? No, <laughs> nothing. Nothing's getting done. Crap. At least for me. Yeah. So at the top of my list, I said that in the next 12 days, I'm going to spend time recharging. Mm. I've been working pretty hard um, with not enough rest or sleep or anything. Um, So that was my top one thing that in the next 12 days, I was going to recharge. That was really, really important to me. What do you guys do for rest? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> tricky, tricky, right? Would love to hear some ideas. For rest. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's the, like, we've talked about that. Like, I'm sure you've read the, um, the research on ultra marathoners and distance runners um, that if they don't prioritize rest, that their performance drops. And so they have to prioritize rest to enhance their performance. I think one of the most amazing stories I read about was Michaela Schifrin. She's a ski racer and she sleeps on the mountain until her race. And then she performs and she wins, right? And so I'm going to challenge everybody, including myself, to really prioritize and say, this is really important for performance. You have to provide yourself enough time uh, for recharge and rest, a down day. And so I, did you guys do the, um, the calendar stuff with Mavericks, with Matt at the beginning of the year, where you started, like you planned out when, when you were going to do your deep work, when you were going to do your recharge or rest, Go back to that is to actually plan it out. So if you're going to be traveling, plan an extra day for rest and recharge. If you know that it's going to be a, you have a, like a big stretch of time where it's going to be a push, schedule that extra day for that rest and recharge. And that's not like catching up time. That's like downtime, rest, recharge, do what fills your cup and the work will always be there. You know, I remember now and I was, Deb and I had a fantastic time <laughs> in Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. so this was your rest and recharge. 
This was one of the most fun conferences. You oh, know. I'm so glad. Well, you know, I, I have that same feeling. That's why I'm so passionate about IOF is like, it's great people. It's all the like really nerdy stuff, like so nerdy. I'm like, oh my God, we're talking about molecules, uh, you know, <laughs> and, like randomized control trials. Yes. But also like, that's where I found my tribe. And that's where I found the people that care about taking care of patients. Like I dream of taking care of patients, that mm. whole patient, whole scheme, like not just pigeonholed and, oh, I only do right knee surgery or, you know, oh, I only do the left L4 foramina. I'm so sorry. That's my expertise. I'm so pigeonholed in um, that you forget the rest of the patient. And while that's efficient to do that, I think we lose the art of medicine and we lose that connection between the doctor and the patient. And when you get, when you step outside that insurance model and you get to spend time with these patients where you're like, tell me everything, what hurts? How can I help you? And maybe it's not the knee that hurts, but it's, you know, the whole person and their hormones are off or they want to lose, they need to lose 25 pounds or they need to do a stress reduction program or whatever. It's just so much more satisfying. That's what I found anyways, for myself, since I've stepped outside of the insurance model. It's so much more rewarding and my patients get better. They get better results. It's, so you joined the group where the normal behavior was your desired behavior. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That it's so rewarding. It fills my cup. I love to go to that conference every year. Uh, so much so that I, I became president for two years, you know, but it just because I was pretty down on orthopedic surgery for a while, because for me, it's a really toxic environment. Um, and I felt very, very devalued. Um, and so I stopped going to all the orthopedic meetings um, because I wasn't finding it was it was making me feel worse rather than better. And I finally went to this IOF meeting. and I was like, whoa, this <laughs> is different and amazing and so much energy. And it just it was great. Wouldn't you, you ladies would agree? Oh, completely. Right, Deb? Sorry, my dogs are playing with their toys, so it was squeaking. Sorry about that. That was great. Yeah. What was your favorite takeaway from the conference, Deb? Um, the thing that just made your mind go, oh, my goodness. You know, just learned some things, uh, kind of put some things together, figured out ways to do, like, um, hydrodose sections on the patients that can't afford, cannot afford orthobiologics where we can actually charge their insurance companies for it and it's not fraud um i bought i got that i'm reading that book about discipline and it, it's not that i'm not disciplined but you know i think we could all kind of tighten up our routines a little bit more i could anyway so i bought that book and what book is it it was the one the gentleman she was talking about the one that was kind of philosophical um i don't oh. have it in front of me oh alan she takes good notes. She takes really good notes. Diane does. She's got it. Let me see if I can find the name of it. Was it? It was Alan Mishra's book. Um, it was the gentleman that was um, yeah, yeah. He was talking about you know relaxing and yeah. um, but he was yeah. vitality about stuff and, yeah. and and you know nurturing your body. Uh, you yeah. know, yeah. becoming patient. You want your patients to be kind of thing. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So 
Alan Mishra is an orthopedic surgeon out of Stanford, and he's been doing a lot of work on vitality. He has a podcast called Vitality Explorers. I'd highly recommend you check it out. I've been really, really enjoying it. Um, and it is all scientifically based, and he reviews three papers every week about how to enhance your vitality. But the best part about the podcast, it's only about 20 minutes. And at the mm. end, he gives you three actionable steps to enhance vitality that are like easy. You're like, oh, well, I, could, I can do that. <laughs> you know, you're like when you listen to the Huberman Lab, you're like, oh, that's so good. But you're like, crap, where do I start? Whereas like <laughs> Alamitra is like, here's three things. Do these three things. And you're like, oh, doable. Yes, I can do that. Um, so Vitality Explorers is really good. I really like it. Um, I've been listening to it for about six months and he teaches a vitality program to undergrads at U of M and he has, and he's, he's kicking around, like, how else can we serve physicians, um, in this same way? So I, I loved it. It was great. Let me see. What else, what else did we learn? We talked about some dosing, some PRP dosing, probably about 10 billion, between five and 10 billion cells for knee osteoarthritis is appropriate for a, a dose. So I would leave that there. Typical knee injection, knee osteoarthritis. Describe to me the other air. So I, I think many of us doing orthopedic surgery, we're going to attack the intraarticular aspect and are more than comfortable with that injection yeah, and that type of thing. But yeah. you just go through like, what would a typical comprehensive treatment of that knee look like for you? Yeah. So I'll describe the typical MRI that everyone is familiar with is like grade two, three, KL two, three arthritis mm -hmm. with a horizontal degenerative medial meniscus tear between the posterior horn and mid body with a little bit of laxity of the MCL and what else? Oh, maybe some um, quad uh, tendinopathy with some increased signal and quad tendinopathy. So I would address all those. Okay. So I would, I would do intraarticular, uh, usually 10 billion dose that I calculate after I run the Hariba. So if it, you know, depending on my dose or my cell count, I will calculate the number of CCs that I put intraarticular. Then I spend the, so how many, how many CCs of blood would you draw for, for that patient? Minimum 120, because I want to spend 10 billion in the joint. Okay. Right. And so that's going to be at least spending the 60 CC draw intraarticular. Yeah, and yeah. You want to spend the rest of it on the meniscus, on the MCL, on the quad tendon. And so I think you you need more. I can't, I think the last time I drew 60, I was treating a thumb. And that's so that for the thumb comprehensive, it's intraarticular and the ligamentous. So the whole capsule. And then depending, you know, you want to look and make sure they don't have any of this denosine tenosynovitis that goes along with that thumb arthritis. Because mm -hmm. if do, then I would also treat the, um, with a, like a lower dose. So I use ligaments, um, and tendon dosing is small is is less. So like half of the intraarticular, like 5 billion platelet dose. Got it. And that's been shown in the, in the rotator cuff literature. All right. Oh yeah. So the other thing is, um, from a literature, uh, discussion, the MCID. So it's really interesting. There was a whole discussion on MCID or meaningful, clinically important difference. And mm. 
what I didn't realize is that the MCID is condition and treatment dependent. And so we've been using surgical MCIDs for orthobiologic injections, but that's not the same treatment. And maybe that's not even the same diagnosis. So there, the some of the data companies have um, been able to calculate. Uh, and, he t- and he talked about how you calculate it. You can use either like a statistical, um, like scatter plot, or you can do anchor, which means that you base it on what's important. And so one of the companies, the data biologics company, I I know for sure. I don't know about Regen Med MCID, but they calculate it based on satisfied and extremely satisfied patients only. So they look back and say, are you satisfied? And only those patients, that's the cutoff of the of the minimal clinically important difference, which is cool, right? So then you know that's that's the important difference is that they're satisfied. They're satisfied with their outcomes. They're satisfied with their treatment. Um, what else? We had the FDA regulations. I wasn't in love with that one. <laughs> and then uh, sacroiliac, it appears that there's quite good evidence for treating sacroiliac, both intraarticular, but also the ligamentous treatment. So again, this is this comprehensive treatment, right? So it's the iliolumbar fascia or the ligament, the brachydorsal fascia, the SI ligaments kind of pepper the entire thing and then intraarticular as well. And then go ahead. Can I uh, ask a question? Of course. Um, if this, this awesome. if we're not doing this already, do you think we could as a group, um, like steel mill and BFF, B, BFF, I am a BFF. BFF it. Yes. Start like a Dropbox with like the most important uh, and meaningful papers for mm-hmm. different topics and like share that together. We have something going like that. It's in B- PRP now program. It's in the downloadables. Wonderful. Yep. It's in the downloadables. And if you're an IOF member, it's on your portal landmark oh. papers. So yes. So read is what you're telling me. <laughs> so yeah, but that that's the funny thing because you don't pay it's, it's called confirmational bias, right? So if you mm. don't know anything about it, you don't pay attention to it. The second you learn something about it, then it, it's like everywhere. You're like, Oh my God, this happened. Like, before you were looking, you're like, you finally are like doing the research and you were like, oh, red cars perform 10% better. And then you look around and there's like a hundred red cars, right? Yeah. It's same thing. So this happens all the time when I, I did a, um, a, a presentation for my fellowship and I only put evidence-based literature that was orthopedically based. So arthroscopy, AGSM, uh, all of the orthopedic journals. And I was like, these are all in there. And they were like, huh. So you're telling me that was in the journal that I read and I did not read that study. I said, yes, (laughs) you're correct. Because if you don't know, you're like, yeah, yeah, I don't even do that. Whatever. Next. You're like, wrist arthroplasty. Next. Didn't, I don't do that. Right. And so you don't even know anything about it because you don't know anything about it and you ignored it. It's crazy. And now you're going to be like every JBJS, you know, AGSM, arthroscopy, they're putting all that stuff in there. And it, so you, next time you all get your journal, you'd be like, holy crap, it's in here and it's good. And I missed it. So um, 
but I did put the landmark papers. I I haven't updated them in a little bit, but um, we'll we'll work on that. Yeah, I think that's a project that I'm working on for IOF as well. So if I'm going to put the work in there, I'll, I'll absolutely share with my my friends, my BFFs, uh, <laughs> the, the the you know what's happening from um, just the the papers that I use, my references, and what I can do now is use the references for the meniscus paper that I uh, the presentation that I did, which is easy. So I'll put that in there. I'll figure out where to put it, and then I'll just post it in the PRP now, and probably on the main page as well. All right. I don't want to take any more of your time. Any burning questions, any concerns, issues, problems, things you're wondering about? I have a quick one. Yeah. Um, I have um, the new front desk person starting on Wednesday. And I couldn't remember if you have anything um, in PRP now, you know, in the documents and all of that about onboarding a new staff member. I do. It's more guidelines. It's not, um, it is a step-by-step, but it's not going to be that comprehensive. Like do this. It's, it is pretty. um, And then if you, you, you're part of BMF. So there's that, I think there's the onboarding section on the hiring modules. Oh, the vine house. Yes. I think there, I think there is one. I, I might be talking out of turn, but I think there is one on on how to onboard. I'm I'm pretty I'm nearly 100 percent on hiring that there's a there's a um, resource on that. Look into the resources, but also look on the module on on hiring. Okay, yeah, I checked the uh, that a resource um, already. No, there's something you know. There's some videos. Okay, um, but I'll check yours too. Yeah, I I know I have some guidelines like what to do, how to do it, things not to miss. And then just from my own experience, I think that I would be really diligent about scheduling check-ins because what we always do is like, okay, here's the bathroom, here's the computers, here's the thing. Any questions? Okay, good. You got it? Great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, yeah. And then you talk to him in three months and they're like miserable because you didn't go back and check. And so I would do at least, at least, three time a week check-in minimum for, you know, the, at least the first month, but, and then schedule like every two week check-ins after that for the first three months, it, it it's going to like save you headache at the end. Right. Because you don't want to get three months down the road and be like, what do you mean? You don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we would have, what the hell have you been doing? You know? So I think clear, Guidelines, clear SOPs, clear communication. And if you don't have, you know, your SOPs, I think sitting down and writing them together is probably valuable. Yeah, yes, your procedure, like your standing, standard operating procedures. Yeah, yeah SOPs. Because you want to know that they are very clear on what their job is, what their metrics are. Just like we were talking at um, Steel Mill, you know, you want to make sure that you've been, you've clearly told them what they're going to be measured on <laughs> before you measure them. And then make sure you're measuring it. So make sure there's an objective way and be like, yes, yeah, so you're supposed to do 30 calls a month. And here's the calls you've done. You've only done 10. We're deficient. How can I help you? Uh, like where, where's the disconnect? What's, what's standing in your way of, of, meeting that metric. And it might surprise you. You're like, oh, well, your phone system's broken. You'd be like, oh, well, 
that's a that's an us problem. That's not a you problem. Great. Thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. Um, but that clear communication, right? Um, you're like, oh, I thought so-and-so told you. Oh, oh, you didn't know the phone's broken? And you're thinking, the phone's been broken for a week and nobody's like said anything? Sweet. <laughs> what metrics? Um, just for your new patient person, I forget what you, the uh, title that the person has. Just briefly, because I know we're short on time, what metrics, you know, do you have for that person? So my metrics, I'd have to look um, because guess what? I don't, I don't calculate them. We review them every week. So I review metrics and my office manager monitors them and calculates them. And then we all talk every Tuesday, it's Team Talk Tuesday. And at lunch, we sit down, I buy lunch, and we talk about our metrics and our goals um, and any uh, things that are standing in the way. And that's been super helpful for us to not lose sight of what we're doing. You could even buy tacos for Team Talk Tuesday tacos. But I think that that's been very, very helpful for my my office because now we all are on the same page, what our goals are, so what our quarterly goal is what our, our tasks are, or how we're going to get there, and then what each person's ta- task is every week, what their metrics are, and how how it's going. Is there anything that's really, you know, they're struggling with um, and that we need to address? Good? Thank you. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks. Awesome. But yeah, my, my front desk person is like new patient calls, percent conversion, or percent scheduling or something. There's We me- measure both of those. And then she is also in charge of the nutrition. So then she has to make sure that she t- reaches out to 75% of our clients every week. Oh, wow. So those are her metrics. And she made those. So I asked her, I said, what do you think the three most important things are to say, I'm doing a good job like at my job? And she's like, well, you know, I think this, well, like, what do you think a good measurement would be? 50%, 100%, 80%. And then you can always come up with like bonuses or something like that as well. Great. That's helpful. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Anything else, Deb? Do you have your 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 hood yet? Oh, yeah. Um, they're, they're coming to uh, certify it, um, I think, on the 16th. Um, I, I'm, I'm having my back done at Centennial Schultz this Friday. So... Um, we can't do anything until, oh, we're waiting for the anesthesia license for that second location. That's the other thing. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping we'll be ready to go by third week in February. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. So annoying, right? All the little hoops. I know, I know, I know, but, but it'll be good once we get started. Cool. Cool. I will share something with you that I learned yesterday when we did Matt's back. So Osh it has sedation for all of his back injections at his clinic. And I do not use sedation for all of my back injections at my clinic. Mm-hmm. And I figured out the difference uh, is that I use anesthetic in my injections and he does not. I um, got you. Yeah, I got you. So if you are choosing to do injections without sedation, I'm going to highly recommend dilute anesthetic. There's really good evidence that dilute anesthetic, like the ropivacaine, uh, like a 0.125% ropivacaine, it does not change the way that the PRP works or the platelet lysate works. Um, it just makes it more comfortable. Well, these are, these are old patients of mine that trust me and they're used to actually having a CRNA in the room. Of so course. 
We are going to go with doctor-directed RN sedation, but there's just no way these people will tolerate not having, they wouldn't even sign up if they didn't think they were having sedation. So, but, you know, maybe some of the newer patients, I'll try that uh, comprehensive lumbar procedure uh, with 0.125, but just have some uh, Versed and fentanyl handy just in case. Yeah. I I will tell you the number of um, Versed and fentanyl cases I've done. Zero. But this is your practice. And that's what I, Ash and I were joking. It's like, I never sedate. And he's like, I always sedate, but he doesn't put anesthetic in. So he uses sedation. If you're not going to do sedation, then I would highly recommend anesthetic. Because I mean, Matt was not that comfy. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness. And then it, the, it, like, it dawned on me like, oh, hello. Yeah, yeah there, there's a commercial side to that. I had to say it. it. It's not it's not that big anymore. But we used to hire CRNAs for X dollars an hour, and then we would bill being anesthesia background. You know, spine fellowship, but anesthesia background. I got to charge for the anesthesia. I got paid more with the insurance industry with the anesthesia than I did for my procedure. So that yeah. that's kind of where that was born. Of that's course, born. but I don't know that you can do that if you're doing well. Yes. You can, you can charge my, my, my periodontist friend charges $600 every time she sedates the patient for a procedure. But I agree with you. It's so much better if you don't have to sedate. It's better for the patient. It's better for the recovery. If you can yeah. avoid it, I if you can. Yeah. yeah. I'm just giving you guys a, a, an experience that there's two, there's more than one way to do it. But if you're going to go with no sedation, I would recommend some lo- local. Cause I was like, Whoa, this is uncomfy. <laughs> okay. Are you having to give a lot? Are you totaling uh, your, your, I mean, what are you doing uh, total for your, for your local? I mean, we all put local in even with the sedated patient, but what's your total of 0.125 for facets, multifidus, uh, epidural and ligaments? What's your total of your local of your 0.125 for pivot can't get a B? Well, you got it. So you, if you do the math, it's probably about three cc's of 0.5 or or pivocaine. Okay. Total. Okay. It's like nothing, so, right? So all those injections, he just used 3cc? Huh. Uh, well, multiplied times her dilutant to get it down oh, to the point. But what's, yeah, but what's your dilutant, right? It's PRP. So 4cc's of PRP with like 1cc of uh, ropivacaine is then point, uh, 0.125, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're, you're yeah. Oh, I was thinking you were pre-anesthetizing with 0.125. No. Okay. I use lidocaine for the skin. All in together? Yeah. I put it in the PRP, dilute it down. How much can you get in a facet? How much total volume? One. one. Yeah, 0.5 to one. If you do one in an arthritic facet, it's going to be pretty grumpy. Pretty pretty spicy. It, well, except for the, with the ropivacaine, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Not until like do, later. Do you have any um, like, like post-care for like if, if if their pain gets worse like or if it flares like any like any meds that you prescribe like you prescribe or like what, what do you recommend or what variables yeah, so my that? post my post procedure medications usually um vary between tylenol and mm-hmm. uh for shoulder intratendinous i give like a norco like okay. just 48 hours worth though so i usually give them like eight pills okay yeah i'm pretty stingy Plus my yeah. pharmacy uh, is really, really crazy. We're, our town is like on the FDA watch list. 
<laughs> Fun. Seriously. Seriously. It's crazy. It's it's like mind boggling. If you are established at a pharmacy, you cannot go to a different pharmacy for any reason. And if you like it, it's nuts. And they're out. They're like they're being restricted significantly on the number. So like by the end of the month, none of the pharmacies have any narcotics. You're in the People's Republic of California, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. But I'm in Kalatecki. Right. No kidding. But seriously, we're in the top three counties in California for narcotic use per capita. Wow. wow. Uh, maybe top one. I think we're like number one. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good at all. That, I mean, that that means everybody's abusing it. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's enough for like every man, woman, and children. <laughs> all right. Any other burning questions? Can you uh, connect me with your MFAT rep, the joint? Joint Tech uh, Labs? Yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, they're great. Perfect. Yeah. I can, yeah. I'll send you my email. That sounds amazing. Yeah, just message me on Mighty Networks and we'll we'll call it good. Perfect. Awesome. All right, guys. guys. Great Thank to you. see you. We'll see you next time. Bye, Dan. <laughs> I'll call you. Okay. Have a good night. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> this has been the Business of Orthobiologics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to know more, please join us on the website prp-now.com and click on the free masterclass. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get more guidance on integrating PRP in your busy practice. Bye for now.